There we go. That's better. That way I got my real waveforms and I can see. Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide, and I actually have stuff to talk about today because I am on the phone with Joe Salvador from Savage Arms, and we're going to talk to you. As many of you guys are listeners of the show and know, you know, I kind of will, will break down things that happen in class, and, and over the, you know, the last year or so, I've been a little harsh on Savage every now and then when it comes up, and, and Joe happened to be a listener and reached out to me, so now... You know, we're getting close to shot and some new things have been announced and uh, Joe wanted to come on and, and talk about it and just kind of address some of the stuff we saw that I was mentioning on here. And uh, I really appreciate that, Joe. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, reaching out and, and, you know, taking that route to to say, hey, I want to talk to you about this that I've heard. And I think that's a great way of doing business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm very happy to be on the podcast. Uh, I've been listening for a while. There's a lot of great information that's coming from you guys. And, you know, we've we've really been working hard to bring a better product out to the market. You know, we've listened to a lot of feedback, taken a lot of feedback from shooters, spent a fair bit of time ourselves just out shooting competitions. And, um, you know, a lot of concerns that people have are things that, you know, we, we experience as well and things that we seek to improve as well. So, that's part of what um, I've been doing and some of the projects that I've been working on in particular to bring out what really became our new precision line of rifles. So starting uh, early last year, um, we ended up releasing a new rifle in our MSR platform to try and work our way into the precision rifle realm. And we said, all right, well, in a gas gun, what are some features we want to roll into the gas gun? We ended up building a, a longer 18-inch handguard with a full-length integral arco. That's a true free float. You know, rolled in a self-timing taper line muzzle brake, uh, a vertical grip, which was a unique setup that we added to that. Um, go down. Oh, you, there you go. So the, uh, the gas gun series... You know, even though that was kind of dwindling right there, but it was just something that people would get into, start shooting off tripods and taking advantage of different shooting positions. So the evolution of that to our bolt action side was to say, hey, you know, we've got all these really great uh, aftermarket options in terms of chassis. We could design something ourselves. And it was around that time when I started working on the project to say, wow, you know, MDT's they're doing some work of looking at what Bacali's doing and he's out there shooting one of these guns up in new England. And, um, and I'm, you know, I got to get hands on with it. I'm like, wow, this is, this is it, man. This is something that I absolutely need to try and work into our product line. You know, we've got great long range guns, the stealth and stealth evolution work great, but in a gaming type environment like PRSs or NRL or any of those types of matches, you know, you, you want that forehand length, you want the ability to add the weight, move the bipods down an arc rail, have the vertical grip, all those feature sets. And, you know, that's what I needed to have to be competitive in that space. So worked with Kyle and Martin from MDT. Those guys are absolute rock stars. They, they turned around and got us chassis real quick um, and basically said, all right, now let's take our bolt action side and work our bolt action to see what we can do to better that, to, to be a complementary product to that chassis. So we say, all right, let's, let's do away with the black oxide on the action. Let's go with the nitride finish. 
let's look at the bolt and try and make that. So that's a really robust finish. We had a titanium nitride finish to the bolt. Start with the blueprinted action. You know, it's a what was like the core of our Model 12 F-Class type gun. And um, kind of rolled all these features in to really make a, a solid production class rifle. The 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 and then here's the thing: like Savage guys are hyper loyal, and the, the, what we were seeing was more of like a QC thing. Because I I don't know if you heard the story when I originally did the 10 FPS with you guys. You had two 60s going back in the late 90s, early 2000, and and then you guys were offering two 60 calibers. You always were good and going outside the box, like with the Valkyrie, the, and using the two 60s and stuff like that. So then, you know, I go to SHOT Show and I run into your VP and everything and I talk to him about the website and he lets me buy a bunch of the 10 FPs and 260s and we did a big project with it. It was the first time McMillan inletted for your rifle system. You know, it was prior to the AccuTrigger and one of the reasons you guys were getting rid of the 10 FPs in that way is you were going to the new changes with the AccuTrigger, which changed the action just a little bit. Um, it was kind of like a flat versus rounded or something. Isn't there like a, a, a radius change or something? The uh, There was a difference in change in the mounting configuration from one trigger to the other. But that kind of predates me, that change. Okay, yeah. So, we you know, we did a ton of work with, with you guys. And, and it, it, it went really well for the website and for what we did but then from like a savage standpoint it kind of fell flat because it was prior to all this sort of lifestyle marketing i mean this was 2000 or 2001 is kind of when the project kicked off so people weren't thinking about the gun industry as a lifestyle market they weren't looking at it in that way and then like a couple years later when we had moved on past it um you know then you kind of reached out but it was we were already well past the whole point of return with that but i mean like your model 12s and stuff for f-class those guns do really really well in f-class and it has a great following for your f-class team and people like that so it just makes sense that hey bring these positive elements because i mean for like a 550 dollar rifle in a, in a way which is where they fell at the time you were you were punching well above your weight class with that stuff it just seemed like, you know, we saw the, the rails loosen up a little bit. We saw kind of like you were saying, you know, it was this AR to kind of precision rifle crossover where it, it was like, uh, do you want to be AR or do you want to be, um, you know, precision rifle? But I understood that the AR parts kit seems really kind of desirable for people because it's such a low cost option. You know, so giving people CTRs and things like that makes sense to keep money down, you know? And I think the philosophy behind a lot of that was to impart some modularity into those guns so that if somebody had one and they wanted to change the grip or they wanted to change the stock, they had the ability to do that. But, you know, I think what people are really demanding now out of a gun is something that has that modularity built into it and the ability to adjust the length of pull and get the comb height where they want and get the grip where they want. Um, and they don't necessarily, they want to have like a nice matched rifle where you've got everything kind of dialed in, in that one platform, the, you know, it's something that's really solid. It's a good stable shooting platform. I think that's 
preferable. I, at least in my experience, having had been out shooting a number of PRS matches, um, that's what I've sought out. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I, You know, you want to stick with something that you like, something that you know. You want that modularity to change. And I do a really bad job, even though I do it a lot, of trying to show modularity, but I just don't frame it correctly. Like, you know, when I did the RPR videos originally with the Ruger stuff and taking it all apart and putting it together with aftermarket stuff. The same thing with a Tika. I'll take that completely apart and put it together with aftermarket stuff. I'm sort of showing that modularity and the upgrade path. But if you went on my YouTube channel and looked at that, I have everybody saying, well, what was the point of buying a Tika if I took everything apart and, and, you know, replaced it. And it's like, well, yeah, I did that all at once. But you out there listening might do it over five, six, ten years. I just speed up the process. And, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at is that people are looking for the ability to move forward with their product without outgrowing it. You know, of course, you know, barrels and things like that are going to be a consumable. Um, but, uh, you know other than changing barrels, you really want that, that action in that base system to move along with you. So from that standpoint, I totally get it from where, where you guys are coming from. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, looking, speaking at the barrels, I mean, having the ability to have all these new actions and there's a lot of aftermarket actions coming out that are in that savage prefit. So you've got, you know, I'm not, our barrels are great. I mean, I've been running my barrel, you know, just running it ragged. And I think even before we went down and shot gap grind, you know, I, I did a 0.3 group at a hundred with factory ammo. Like after 3000 rounds, I'm plenty happy with that. And, but if somebody wants to now have that modularity to swap a barrel, we've, we've accounted for that. You know, we've got those options and that can grow with the shooter. Um, like just, just simple things like nitriding the barrel nut. So when you take that barrel nut off, that barrel nut's no longer consumable. It's going to it's gonna stand up to, you know, your tools that you're going to put on there without getting all marred up. Right. So simple things, you know, it's it's just I think that goes a long way with the shooters. And, and, and forgive my ignorance on it, but do you guys sell a tool to remove the barrel nut? Do you have something like someone can buy and say, get, a, get an official Savage barrel nut tool? Um, I don't believe we have one on our website, but I know they're pretty commonly available on Midway and Brownells. Okay. So there are the aftermarket ones for people and stuff like that. Because that seems to be, to me, in the discussion of the Savage Equation, it doesn't seem like you guys push that kind of user DIY side of it. I mean, everybody would, would always say, you know, well, Remington 700s, the 350 Chevy of you know, firearms, but in a way you're, you're, you're given the tools on the savage side. The, the, the downside is the aftermarket part of things. It seemed like there was a, there was an aftermarket program like with sharpshooter supply back in the day that was sort of keeping pace with what savage was doing similar to what someone would keep pace in a Remington. And then all of a sudden it, it seemed like when you went to the AccuTrigger, Nobody wanted to go near it. And you don't see, like, immediately when the Ruger came out, you saw an aftermarket trigger. You know, with the Remingtons, there's a million aftermarket triggers. You don't see people promoting and talking about triggers. And I know that's a question that's come up uh, on the Sniper Side website today. When I asked last night, I said to the guys who were listening to the podcast, 
hey, if you have a question for Savage, what is it? And one of the questions was, are you working with anybody? And I know people will do it on their own, but are are you kind of like officially working with anybody to to offer a aftermarket trigger or aftermarket parts in the way we see with other actions? So we've been proactively reaching out to stock suppliers, people who have come out with new um, new stocks and said, hey guys, listen, you know, we want to give you a head start on getting your inletting. Let us give you models and let us give you inletting you know, geometry so that you can make a very accurate inlet for our guns. And you know, we'll support you, you know, in support of you guys supporting us making aftermarket products for our guns. So we've made a we've made a uh, concerted effort to do that um on the trigger side uh i know i know timney is making a trigger and there's rifle basics and i think um jarred was making triggers there's a, there's a handful of people that were out there making triggers um already for that are, are replacements for the accu trigger and they have all the different settings that you can adjust on them um but you know there's some stuff that's that's in the pipeline that we're looking at that's an area that we want to improve on as well so you know we've got we've got some uh, there's some things there's some things cooking and and you know just from a trigger standpoint because i know there's like this love hate weirdness kind of goes on with the accu trigger i don't mind it i don't cuz i you know i i dealt with it with some of the other uh, stuff but i look at it as a single stage trigger i looked at it as a way to sort of instruct a student to marry up to that trigger where if you took just your standard you know hey i'm gonna i'm gonna get a jewel somebody's gonna put some crazy light eight ounce weight on it and as soon as they bring their finger over to the trigger and they touch it and it breaks their fingers right off the trigger and it becomes that tapping motion fundamentally right so they'll come in they tap the side of the trigger because it's so light it's so easy and they can't really touch it because of the way they set it. Well, with the accu triggers, I always try to get like the savage shooters that that come through is to use that that's that internal safety as almost like a two-stage trigger to marry up and take up the slack in that. And as soon as that slack's gone and your fingers now in contact with the full shoe, well then that becomes the wall of like a two-stage trigger. Then press break and freeze, you know what I mean? Um and, and so I, I sort of like the new shooter training element of it, but I know it has this, you know, comp people don't think you can be serious if you're shooting an accu trigger. And, and I, I do tend to disagree with that mindset with it and feel that it, it, there, there almost needs to be, there's a vacuum in my mind. There's a vacuum in how Savage gets talked about, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody, but th- there's definitely things like with the barrel nuts, you know, kind of p- promoting that element of it with the upgrade paths that that are out there is getting more manufacturers involved to, to support your product. And and then, you know, like you said, with the barrels and stuff, we do see like with my bighorns uh, on the origin, I'm using Savage Thread Pitch, you know. So it does make perfect sense that you can get that prefit Savage Threading and then have it go into a, a, a custom action yeah and um you know when we when we were setting up these guns for prs it makes a lot of sense like you're saying for uh the educational new shooter and somebody who's getting into that type of shooting because right now you're in a situation where it's a fast pace 
stages. You're going, you know, minute and a half, and you're trying to get on, get in a position, get a solid shooting position, and you know, acquire a target and get your shots off. And what people will do, and what I've seen from being at the matches I've seen is sometimes they'll rush through and they forget the fundamentals, and they're they're getting on, you know, they get on glass, and before they know it, they're they're bumping their trigger. They're sending around off into the berm, but it's nowhere near what they're trying to shoot. So it's not like they're getting a, like an ND. They're just pushing the trigger. Or they're just being sloppy with it. You know, the active trigger is going to keep them safe. They're not going to have to worry about, you know, uh, sending around downrange because they are being rough handling the gun. Um, so for people getting into the sport, it's great. And, you know, what these guns are coming out right now, uh, you know, we had a 1999 MSRP on the short action version it's a little bit more for the long action version but the short action versions i'm starting to see street prices for these and there's people out there that are that are listing them in the sub 1600 dollars range which i i like if i'm a new shooter you know and separate me from the savage for a minute and just you know as just joe schmo consumer here you're getting a, like a over almost $1,100 worth of value in stock and magazine from MDT. You're going to get a, an ACC chassis plus their 10 round metal mags. And now you're getting into this, you know, really kitted up savage action. And if you're paying, you know, street price in the $1,600 range, you've got a really solid platform there to, to get into PRS. I mean, that's crazy. Like you said, you're, if you're getting a, a, a rifle, a starter rifle system, that's retailing for $1,600 and it includes an MDT AAC chassis or ACC chassis. It, that's crazy. Like you said, that's three quarters. I mean, that's similar to what I did with the with the Ashbury stuff that you guys had worked with in the past. I went bigger on the chassis and, and saved a little money on the barreled action. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're basically giving someone a starter rifle that they can go and, it, and if it's in 6.5 Creed, let's say, shoot 2,000 rounds in a, you know, that, that'd be a half a season and, and then rebarrel it to like a, a custom made after market barrel. You, you've got a rifle now that you're comfortable with. You've got a chassis system that's adaptable to every PRS event out there. And then you, you can then build it up to, you know, basically the best barrel you can get, which is the heart of any of these systems. And it, it, it you know, you'll, you'll never lose in that case. And especially if you got a wife or kid or somebody that you're looking to bring into the sport who doesn't quite know what investment they want to put into it. Well, they're never going to lose at even $1,800 for that system. You know, if you're seeing MSRPs at 16, I mean, think about it at 1800 bucks, you're scoring huge. You know, I think about that as somebody buys this rifle they get one in, you know, whatever caliber they care to shoot, um, go out, do some competitions. If they get their feet wet and they say, hey, now I'm looking to get something different. You know, they want to go to a custom build and have some gunsmith spin up some wildcat or some other kind of uh, round for that. And um, so you take that whole platform, let's say you rebarrel it to a 223, and now you've got your trainer. And if you keep the same platform in terms of the chassis, you can mirror your, your you know, custom build with a 223 trainer and you're not burning through money trying to you know get rounds down range and get practice does midway or somebody sell uh bolt heads for you guys 
Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a number of people that are selling Savage Bolt. Uh, PTG, for instance, sells a lot of stuff. Oh, so th- um, then there, there again is another upgrade path. You can take your barreled action. You can put make it like you're saying, make a trainer out of it and swap bolt heads. And yep. and if you swap a bolt head by buying that that PTG or somebody like that. You exactly. You could buy a 308 variant, shoot it, or a 65 variant, and then if you say, "Hey, I want to move to the next level," you can get a, a, a 223 bolt head, and now you have a trainer rifle. Yep. So you can grow. You can grow as a shooter, and let's say you outgrow that platform, you move on, keep it as a trainer. It's going to give you all the fundamental work that you need to have. It's going to shoot as accurately as you know anything else that we make, and. Um, yeah, I think it's a, an excellent option. Uh, but totally. I mean, it, it, there there really is, like I said, there's a lot. It just doesn't seem like you guys put that focus into the the type of shooting. And honestly, I don't. To me, it seems like anything I've ever seen really you guys doing was more print. Um, you know, just just print ads and not necessarily video programs or something like that, because. It would be the case of, I mean, heck, you can do some 15-year-old gets his first rifle and he's got he's buys this one we're talking about with the AAC or the ACC chassis. And then you can have the kid be 30 years old and then swap it out and still do something with it and, and be able to go something like that and and just go through, especially with resources a, a company like a Savage would have. And just to highlight and demonstrate the progression of, you know, from from here's your first rifle that's now adapting into a trainer or a secondary rifle that you can continue to pass down, but will adapt with changing situations, you know, whatever changes in your life. You know what I mean? It could be a case of. Um, you know, I'm shooting a 6.5 Creed and then I'm going to go to a 6 millimeter, and maybe I'm going to do the 223 trainer. But there are such options out there that I just don't think people are exploring. And to be honest, it's one of the reasons why initially we looked at Savage for that Ghost Dancer project in 2001 because we saw that kind of modularity. It's just it didn't seem like anybody was really interested in it. Well, you know, what we're trying to do now is get everybody involved and get everybody shooting inside savage we we try and get out and shoot once a week when we can um we've been traveling around the country kind of shooting you know not just not just our team savage shooters but like our engineers and people in marketing and people in sales they say all right guys we want to get you out get you behind the guns that you are designing selling and put them to use in the applications that you're designing them for um and that tells you more about the product than I think any spec sheet that you're given or anything else. Uh, Cause you can truly grasp why these features are the way they are and why it's implemented the way it's implemented. No, it makes perfect sense. And just bringing your teams out and letting them experience that I'm seeing that trend. It's happened with some other companies. I've had guys come out who have sort of, you know, the big brains in the back room are coming forward now and coming out on a line and we're going, yeah, you know, we understand what you're thinking, but this is what we do. And you should try to tailor your thinking to how we're going to execute it because nobody executes it that way anymore. So I'm seeing more and more companies um, bring, you know, like I said, sort of the bigger brains. And I'm seeing it even in the scope side of things 
where uh, some of the European and the bigger scope companies have actually brought some people over to the U.S. because they 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 don't they they can't quite wrap their hand their head around the 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 speed and the style of shooting we're doing here because they only look at it targets competition is NRA and hunting is hunting. You know what I mean? They don't see the steel speed field stuff that we're doing. And so that they get confused. You know what I mean? It's like, well, is he shooting high power on an NRA target or is he hunting? And it's like, no, we're in the middle. And, yeah. and, and so that's, that's, that's a good thing that you guys are bringing your, 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 your sort of sea level people out there as well to say, you know, it's not about you going down to FTW and shooting an odd dad down there. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, we get it. They're going to let you go shoot a game animal, but it's beyond that. Yeah. I mean, we, we shot, um, just me and uh, one of the other engineers went down and shot at the, uh, K&M Callus, uh, match earlier this year. We shot gap grind. We shot the new England PRS up here. Um, we've got our own regional, uh, Minuteman precision rifle league that we've been shooting. That's got our own kind of new England series. So we've been getting around and shooting a fair number of matches and, um, you know, it's, it's been valuable, uh, just being out interacting with people. We get a lot of excellent feedback from, from shooters. You know, they say, Hey, we like this, but you know, what if you did this? And we take that back with us, you know, and any, anytime anybody shares that information, not necessarily just with us directly, but if they go through social media and they send a message or whatever, it makes it to us. We listen and, you know, just, it's a matter of trying to implement some of this stuff, but that feedback, uh, is heard. Well, I mean, clearly, like I said, you reached out to me just blind on Facebook and you were, and you, I didn't even know who you were or anything like that. I mean, there's just so many changes within the industry, but it was like, you were like, Hey, I heard your savage podcast. And I'm like, okay, who are you? <laughs> Cause I figured I was going to get in trouble again, you know, but it was like, Oh, uh, and, and, and you're like, Oh no, I work with, and then like, I kind of wait a second. I'm like, okay, here it comes, you know? I'm getting a cease and desist or something. And, and then you were super cool with the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to work with people when I can. Um, I think there's a tremendous amount of value in just listening and taking feedback because there's, that's an invaluable resource to us. It, it really, I mean, what, what do you think? Like what's one of the best and, and let's just say it's something that you know, you can never do, but it, it's like, what, is there any piece of feedback you've ever gotten that somebody might, that you're kind of go through your head like, man, this was some of the greatest feedback I, I got that I can never use, or maybe it's something you have used. What, what do you think has been like the, 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 the single one that sticks out in your mind that somebody has talked to you about on the line and, 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 you've, and you've basically been shaking your head yes with them the whole time they're talking? Um, you know, I think one of the examples, like you had said, was having like a scope rail come loose in a match. And, and that's something that, that, you know, I've, I've seen in other guns and like, it's, it's painful when it happens, especially if you're, you know, you get out there and you're in a two day match and especially in PRS where you're spending, you know, you got a decent amount of entry and travel and ammunition and time away from your family. Like it's a, it's an investment, right? So if you're out there and your gun goes down because your scope's loose, that's a problem. So, you know, realizing that, you know, when we look at the way we process our guns and when we do a black oxide finish, um, we put a protecting coating, which is, you know, you see some of the guns that come in and they have the oily finish, which they travel all over the country. And, you know, you got to keep some co sort of coating on those to keep it from 
you know, getting at sort of imperfections in the finish as they travel. Moving to a nitrated finish for these guns with a stainless base means I have to be, I get to be less concerned about having as much oil and everything in there. So when I assemble the uh, rails now onto those guns um, and I apply torque to the screws and every screw gets torqued on all the guns, um, there is less probability of that screw coming loose in use than on like other styles of the guns um, simply because it just doesn't have that protective coating. And so, you, I mean, that, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, so that's, that's just feedback that I've got uh, some of the feedback that we've got that we've applied. Um, people have feedback on things relative to the triggers and how, how to go about setting them, you know, cause we have the, our six ounce triggers, but you know, when you close the bolt, you want to make sure you're cautious and you're not slamming the bolt down because everything's really sensitive, but how would you go about having something that you could run a bolt aggressively at sub one pound and reduce the unsearing? So that's, that's another area that we're looking to improve upon and um, taking that feedback and bringing it back in and uh, building that into the development. Yeah. I mean, it's just cause it, it honestly, the, 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 your, your average savage owner is insanely loyal to you guys. You know, and, and it just seems, and I don't know if it's refreshing or just weird in, in my brain kind of looking at it is I don't really see you guys exploit that as much as you probably could. Um, you know, and I don't know, like I said, if that's a good thing or a bad thing that you're not a high pressure kind of company that way. But if you look at it, that that actual, the fact that you're not a high pressure in your face kind of company but you have that loyalty and that following that you do really says a lot about your history over the years and just how long, you know, Savage has been around and been that popular for, you know, uh, out there. You know, we've made a name for ourselves in, in accuracy and performance. Um, and it's now just a kind of a matter of applying that across the board in different applications. Well, yeah, totally. Is getting into these other disciplines and th and things like that. It, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, you know, it, it. I it. I almost wonder too, because like, if you had ever considered the sort of the Howa model of of doing barreled actions out there and you and letting companies actually or people putting more of their stuff in, because you, you do see the consideration kind of thought bubbles that people are posting and what they're saying. And I just had a guy uh, sending me a message today and was going back and forth. And I'm like, yeah, go on the forum and ask that dude, not me. But he was actually asking about barreled actions and he was going down the Howa route versus getting a Tika. And, and it, it just seems like that plays into their strength for being a low cost but at the same time, you'll see people that are going to immediately upgrade at, uh, uh, stocks. In, in, or yeah. do you just find that just using the plastic stock is, is just that much easier and give them a complete rifle and not do the barrel action route? You know, it's definitely been a consideration. Um, the, I, I know there's been tons of requests for people that have seen this new action and said, hey, man, I'd really like to get that and put that in stock, you know, X, Y, and Z, or McMillan, or uh any anything else out there you know uh they've people obviously have their preferences you know and like the acc is a great stock but some people would like it something different um so there's been a lot of people that have looked at that action and said hey man i'd really like to pick something like that up um so that may be something in the future i, I you know i can't say uh yay or nay on that but i mean if it was if it was my path to choose i'd love to have something like that and that i could just kind of be modular and 
say, Hey, I want to put this in, you know, something different if I wanted to. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, it just seems like that, that would be the kind of the, and, and it's funny. And I have, a, like I said, I could bring up a ton of ideas and stuff, but I, I look at it today. I was looking at some camera stuff on B and H and they have sort of the base kit, the advanced kit, and then the filmmakers kit. And it's funny that, you know, the base kit is just like the camera body. And then, you know, there's a, there's there's an advanced kit which will give you an upgraded battery and a lens, you know, and maybe a card or something like that. And then there's the filmmakers kit where they say, well, here's the, you know, here's what most people are doing right out of the gate and putting these accessories with this camera. Well, you, you'd almost think where there was a barreled action was a base kit and then you bought like, you know, an advanced kit. It, it would be like, we'll give you, you know, one, a, a different bolt head change. So you have a 308 bolt head. Here's this 223 bolt head. Here's a, a, a barrel nut wrench and that comes with it. You know what I mean? So your advanced kit has a bolt head and a barrel nut uh, wrench, you know, something like that to me would be, or even a barrel you know, spare barrel with it to me, to me, that's a direction that the camera companies go that I don't see the gun industry go, but we do trend with camera companies in a lot of ways on how we market and sell our products. You know, if you think about the, uh, uh, you know, a Nikon or Canon camera, it, it, it's, it's almost identical. If somebody was going to do a Remington versus Savage, you know, it, the, 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 the trend lines are the same. Yeah, no, I, it makes perfect sense. I think that having that ability would be uh, would be excellent, um, and that's definitely something I'll bring back to the team. Yeah, I mean, I get there's a safety consideration and all that, but I mean, that's kind of what lawyers are for and, and to put a thing in. But I, to me, that would be the only downside is somebody, you know. M- m- but if you if you spell it out and say, you know, you torque this nut to this degree, you put the barrel on this way. And, and you create sort of the videos for stuff. So many people are, you know, look at the AR market. And when you talk about coming in with the AR stuff right off the gate, um, it, it, it's it's expected there's Lego guns and parts and people are building stuff themselves and 80% lowers. So that from a safety standpoint and a liability standpoint, to me, it's already been addressed in the AR market because they'll sell you pieces and parts of everything. So, you know, the bolt gun to me is just that much safer and easier from a mechanical standpoint. It's just, you know, we're fitting things a little bit more precise, but it's really no different skill set. So it just seems weird that nobody's ever kind of followed the camera company model to me. And I think, you know, one of the people out there that are ripe to do it is Savage. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with you there. And um, speaking of the future... Uh, we got shot coming up. Uh, are, are you number one? Are you going to be at shot? Do you normally go to shot? And then is there anything you can sort of spill or tease or even just imply that might be happening so, at shot? <laughs> yeah. So I'll be out at shot. I'm going to, I'm likely going to be wandering around the floor, kind of checking out new stuff that's out there. Cause that's, that's where I, that's my happy place is <laughs> out there seeing kind of what's, what's new and, uh, novel. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've got this precision family, right? Because we talked about the short action, um, the two rimfire versions that we've got in MDT chassis, the A and B series. Um, those will be out there. Um, then, uh, you know, you've seen, obviously, the, the short action version of the Elite Precision. 
Um, there's a long action version of Elite Precision, which is going to be kind of interesting for people to get their hands on, um, which is really neat because we took that same uh, ACC chassis, but stretched the barrel off to 30 inches and threw, you know, obviously the 300 Win Mag and the 338 Lapua, which we've typically been running in those, but added in a, a 300 Norma and a 300 PRC. Nice. So it's a super heavy varmint profile, finishes off at just about an inch at 30 inches. And, uh, you know, when you load that chassis up with weights, you get the whole thing dialed in and that's going to be a 2149, uh, you know, price point rifle. Like that's, there's your ELR gun. There's your entry level ELR man, get into King of two mile and go shoot a competition with it in 300 or 338 or the Norma. And, and yeah, man, you're in it. Yep. So, you know, there'll be, uh, I think there'll be some other interesting stuff. If I was, uh, if I was to make some bets, I would say, go swing by the booth and check things out. Um, the, there's going to be, I mean, just off the top of my head, not talking, you know, caliber stuff, but there's going to be a, you know, a handful of brand new, brand new, uh, offerings out there that will be more than just color and caliber. So, um, nice. definitely something to go check out. I hate it that you guys kind of were the first ones to jump in the Valkyrie kind of pull and kind of got bit with the ammo, especially on a gasser, because I felt it. I know exactly what was going on, and it wasn't twist straight. It wasn't, you know, it, it was definitely that round and, and stuff. And, and unfortunately, the 88s from Hornaday fixed all that, but it's sort of like uh, that, that, that misstep with the federal 90s, I think really bit a lot of people, but I applaud you guys for for jumping into the Valkyrie pool quicker than most people. Yeah. And I don't know if you had seen at, um, at shot last year, we also came out with a bolt action in 224 in a, uh, uh, it's our Prairie Hunter model. It's a, uh, kind of a varmint gun, but still, a you know, reasonably heavy barrel set up. You can get on a bipod and you know, take it out to distance. Um, but it's also light enough. That's something you could pack around and go hunting with. If you want to do that as well. So we're still, you know, we're still staying true with that 224. I still think there's a lot of potential in that. Um, really kind of like the the specs and the possibilities of it as a low recoil, long distance round. Yeah, and, and totally like with, uh, I was with some of the federal guys uh, two weeks ago. They're invested in it. They're doing it. And from a hunting standpoint, he's saying it's doing really well on that, like, you know, 200 pounds and below animals. And and he he's he's seeing some fantastic results from the two two four. So the fact that you guys can, if you want to dip your toe into it, you can run the savage route and then do it instead of having to build something custom up like I'm doing. And that's that again, the benefit of that floating bolt head. They just swap out that six eight bolt head and they're in the game. You know what I mean? So it it really makes a lot of sense from from you know just the whole manufacturing side that you guys are one of the first to embrace the Valkyrie side of things. And, and, and like I said, I, I agree with you. I still talk about it because the more I shoot it, the more I like it. I think it's a viable cartridge and, and it just needs to kind of, you know, kind of get back into, it needs a reload. But other than that, it's, it's, um, it's definitely got some viability and, and, and I just don't see the downside, you know, moving beyond what we, what we saw from the, the, the ammo issue. Yep. And we have our own internal box mags, but it's now interesting to see companies like MDT come out with their um, AICS pattern 224. Yep. So, you know, seeing that support come across the industries, you know, it's really solid. It makes it easy for us to say, hey, we're now going to roll out platforms X, Y, and Z that use that kind of a magazine. 
Yeah, did you ever, um, you guys, magazine-wise, did you guys ever deal with, I thought you had, like, a loose relationship with Dan uh, Shumway up in upstate New York who does the Dark Eagle mags that are an aftermarket sort of uh, mag work on, I don't remember what, if it's the Axis or something. You had a mag, like a proprietary mag that people were wrenching on, and and I thought Dan was doing some stuff with you guys proper uh, for his, his aftermarket version, or do you not know about that? I can't say. I mean, uh, as, as working with me directly, um, he hasn't. But that's not to say he hasn't worked with somebody else. Yeah, and and I think it was kind of a, a an in out thing where I don't think it, I think you guys moved on from that now. But I know he was pretty well known for making um, the aftermarket uh, magazine fixes or sat, he was doing something to him. And I I just don't I'm not that tuned in to be able to tell you. But I know he was super popular with doing it. To, uh, to the point where you guys reached out to him is my understanding back and I'm going back probably five, six years. So, it, you know, yeah, and I think he, if, if my memory serves me correct, I think he may have been the guy that was doing the, when you'd have the extended box mags, the 10 round box mags of our proprietary design, he was the one that was making the uh, extensions on those. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm familiar with the product. I just, I, I'm, I haven't spoken with him directly. No, I'm just saying because I've known Dan for a long time. Super great guy. Lives upstate New York. Uh, was part of my little group when I lived in Connecticut that we used to shoot with. Um, we used to kind of travel around the tri-state area. Um, and, and Dan was just one of those guys with his son. His son was actually one of the driving factors behind the Savage Project that we did. The, uh, the Ghost Dancer with the 10 FPs. Um, he did all the loading and all the stuff in the 260s at the time. So it was his son um, who who was our sort of our, our, our ammo side of thing and, and with that project. You know, we had like I was coordinating some things with McMillan when they were doing the A5 stock for it. And, you know, then there was the uh, sharpshooter trigger supply. We, we did the aftermarket trigger. Then it was the 260. So we were hand loading 260 because nobody was selling it at the time. You know, so there was the work around the 260 because all you could really get was like Remington core lock hunting ammo. And, um, you know, and then we ended up getting core bond to build 260 ammo for us and, and companies like that. So, yeah, it was, uh, it, like I said, going back to the to the roots and the origin of Sniper's Hide, Savage was actually a big part of that early, early days. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I'd like to see us, you know, get more involved and get more involved in the community as a whole, really. I mean, uh, I think beyond just, you know, being out there in print marketing and kind of sponsoring events, there's something to be said with that personal engagement with people. Um, you know, when, when you got an issue and somebody can say, hey, man, I know how to solve that issue. Let me fix that for you right now. Um, it People people value that, you know, it's a it's a. A human element, right? Yeah, well, and to be honest, what it comes down to, it becomes down to the case of a guy coming in and saying, hey, my base is loosening up on my Savage, and everybody going, aha, you got a Friday gun, versus, oh, here, do this, take this off, clean this up, put this screw in with a little bit of Loctite like that, where I think the difference becomes the troll behavior versus the helpful behavior, where then the Savage owner walks away with his head down going, because I just got trolled, you know, and it's like, well, everybody mm -hmm. just beat me up because they said they're laughing at me for this reason versus, hey, everybody was super helpful and knew how to fix that immediately and got me up and running really quick. And then they walk away with a better experience. 
And so to me, sort of the personal relationship within the companies comes from that, where the membership will key off of how well the company supports sort of the guy on the street. And when you see the, 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 the trollish behavior come in, it's because they feel the company doesn't care, isn't looking, let's just make fun of it, versus where they think a company cares, where they believe the company is watching, and then they'll step up in their place and say, well, let me help Savage out, do this, because they know if, if they weren't there, well, Savage will come around and see it, but they're going to come around and see it tomorrow. But I can answer it for you today. And then, like Kestrel does, if you look on Sniper's Hide, Kestrel has a presence on there. And with the, the, the craziness with um, software, I mean, there's a million ways software can go wrong. And, and people are more likely to help before Kestrel steps in to answer your question versus belittle you for buying a Kestrel. Yep. You know? And if anything, that's a plug for your weaponized math right there. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, the weaponized math works. Uh, and, and really, it works ridiculously well. And, and it's pretty funny, um, you know, just how good that math is working. Like I said, when I was with the, re- the federal guy, he was like, he couldn't get around no BC and no muzzle velocity. And he couldn't kind of like it didn't make sense that we broke it down into percentage of drop. And so it, it, it sort of was pretty funny, you know, to be out at night at a match and having drinks and everything. And, and you know, it's 10, 11 o'clock, or probably 10 o'clock at night. So you're, you're, you're finishing up, but you're well knee deep into it. And so you're, you're trying to explain stuff when guys have it like three too many drinks, you know. So <laughs> it, it's but it, the weaponized math works, man. I mean, honestly, it should be put in like every box for every new rifle uh, because it. It's how somebody can get up and running easier than you guys actually going out and trying to give them inches a drop. If you just gave them the percentage of it and said multiply, you know, give them a, a worksheet and said put your 300-yard dope in here, multiply it by this, this is your 400, and I'll put your 400 in here and do this, this is your five, it, it becomes, you know, to me it's, it's so much easier than trying to give somebody a number when you don't know what they have. Yeah. So. Yeah. And kind of circling back like you were saying about the customer support side and working with people, you know, perfect example of that is we were down at Gap Grind and one of the guys had, he was shooting a Savage rifle and he had his gun go down on day one, you know, came in from, you know, one of the, one of those surrounding states in Tennessee and um, had set his, his trigger a little bit too light, um, was running into an issue where he closed the bolt and he would close the bolt in a PRS match running for time and it, you know, the bolt would, un- the gun would unsear the, you know, the, the, the little safety blade would then catch and you'd have to recock the gun. And he was like, you know, got all frustrated. And, um, but they're like, Hey man, the guys from Savage are here. Like you should go link up with them. So he ended up catching us. We grabbed his gun, rebuilt the gun, rebuilt the trigger, set the trigger to, you know, a, a safe, but functional, uh, trigger poundage for the gun that he had. He got it back. He's like, this is great. You know, the thing was all cleaned up and lubed up and just off and running. Um, he's like, you know, this is great. He's like, I was anticipating having to be down and out for like my entire day two, um, not able to shoot. So just being there and being able to support the users of our products is huge. It's gigantic. And I saw it firsthand at the Team Safari because I had JP with me, Adam. Um, 
Adam uh, Burt from JP, and I didn't mention this story during the podcast or anything, either podcast we did, but there was a, a, a team that was running a sort of Lego gun 6.5 Creed, but they had a JP gas system and buffer system in it. And it wasn't running. And I don't know what the story, because I kind of let Adam go off and, and dealt with the guys that way. But the guys had originally come up to me, and I saw them during the, the end of the day at an assault stage. And they're like, hey, you're Frank from Everyday Sniper, Sniper's Hide. We listen to your podcast. Love it. Great. Yeah, I'm shooting this JP, and it's not working, and blah, blah, blah. Something's up. But it wasn't a JP. It was just, it had a JP parts. Well, Adam comes over, and I said, hey, Adam, talk to these two guys. They got a situation going on. Dude, he went into his truck, pulled out his personal JP65 Creed, gave it to him for the rest of the match, let him shoot the match with his personal gun, and took it back. And, I mean, that's a customer, and, and that's like, you know, that's a Brex commercial. He told two friends, and then he told two friends, and then you and I are talking about it, and then we tell two friends. But you guys going down there, I guarantee already there's been... 25 people talking about how Savage did this for this shooter. And it's going to resonate. It's going to be a domino effect. And it's going to resonate down the line. That definitely, definitely. Having that support system, whether it be in a class or a competition, it's worth its weight in gold when, when you look at the end results of that stuff. No, I agree. I mean, the the amount of money that you would lose in a match like that to go down it's just it's unacceptable to have that go down and if we can be there to support you know the shooters then you know it's a win-win for everybody um we don't want anybody to have their rifle go down and we don't want anybody to kind of lose out on the time that they had set aside for these kind of matches so if there's any way that we can support or you know if anybody who's listening can think of some ways that Savage could better support the community. I mean, absolutely shoot messages over to people on the, you know, the Facebook account that'll get relayed to us. So um, it all gets considered. Like I said Yeah. I, I'll tell you one example, cause you might not see it as much cause being East coast, the NRL brings a trailer to their matches. So even down when I went to rifles only and shot the NRL match, they brought a trailer in. And that trailer has everything but machines in it, but it's got device setups. It's got all parts and pieces and firing pins and, you know, maybe it's bases and rings and screws and possibly a spare scope. But there is something to be said for sort of a traveling savage trailer, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a full-size car trailer. It could be a short little 10-footer that has pieces and parts for people. And it may go beyond, you know, maybe it is a 700 clone part that you have in a trailer, but it's hosted by Savage. To me, that safety net at a competition, exactly like you said, guys are spending a ton of money, they're traveling. Nobody wants to go there and have a piece of equipment break down the first day and ruin a weekend when they're, you know, granting people step up all the time, borrow my gun, use my spare scope, here's a bag, here's this, here's that. But there's something to be said when when you have manufacturer support. Absolutely. I, and I've seen, you know, in a number of the matches that I've been to, um, I always see Buck Holly out and about with the, uh, the MDT van. He's always got guns and gear and dope and ammunition. So if somebody goes down, uh, I think, you know, Phil Cashin was out with the uh, MPA, um, you know, trailer that they had and they were bringing support. The guys from Deep South were out, out and about, and they were bringing you know gear with them that people could run. So there's a bunch of people that have been going out. I, I definitely see the value in that. 
Yeah, totally. And and it, it, there, it's it's a win win for everybody. And and I think the fact that you're on the podcast, you're saying, "Hey, man, tell us what you want. Tell us what you want. We'll look into it. We'll support you. We're looking to support you. We want to grow with you." I think says a lot from a company standpoint because. I mean, granted, I can go out there, I could be biting and say something and, and, you know, again, calling balls and strikes and people don't like, well, stop calling strikes on me. It's like, but you struck out, dude. And it's like, you know, I get it. But at the same time, to see somebody come in and stand toe to toe and come right up and say, yep, we did. We're fixing it. Here we are. This is the direction we're going. I think says a lot in this day and age for people to actually see it and hear it from from a company you know it's not the lip service it's your actions are now speaking louder than your words yeah and that's that's all we can ask for to try and uh support the shooters and try and be a presence out here awesome now is there anything else you guys want to cover or coming up on the hour uh it's been a fantastic conversation uh is there is there anything that that's out there in 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 the savage universe that you can say that maybe we didn't touch on or, or, or anything like that. Like I said, I, and I know guys are going to want to come to shot and check you out to see what's going to be dropping at shot show. Cause I think this year is going to be a little bit more precision rifle centric than last year at shot. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I, I'll tell you what, I mean, I think we should link up at shot if we can, because I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that we could talk about a little bit more after that. And, uh, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of things kind of coming down the pipeline that will be of interest to, people beyond just the realm of PRS and, um, and the NRL and, you know, any type of precision long range shooting. No, for sure. I'll have my interview kit with me. Um, we'll definitely schedule it and I'll get together. And even if we got to go and sit off in a corner and have a beer and, and have a discussion, uh, I will have my interview kit. I love to be sitting down and talking with you guys, especially knowing there's something to be looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And, uh, very thankful to be on the podcast. You know, I really appreciate what you've been doing and supporting the community. So thank you again. No, thank you for reaching out. Like I said, it's easy. It's easy to basically go in 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 to throw kind of you know to, to snipe from the from the cheap seats. But it, it's it's important that being able to step up and to say and give both sides a platform. You know what I mean? I could sit here and say this is my mic and and all that, but and, and just point and look down on shit. But I'd rather have you guys come up and say yeah, we heard it, or no, we don't agree with it. Here's how we see it differently, or this is what we're going to do tomorrow. Uh, I, I think that's that's the way this is supposed to work, and, and it's a great thing, man. I really appreciate you coming on and, and you reaching out and, and, you know, just no no preconceived, no nothing, just having a great conversation. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And, uh, I hope this is the first of, first of many conversations. Totally, totally. I'm behind it. All right, Joe, thanks a lot. Stay on the line. I'm going to get out, get us out of the podcast, and, and then I'll, I'll call us uh, out. But uh, I'm going to do the outro music and then just get us out of here. All righty? Okay. All right, have a good one.